today as we continue our series, Pursuit. I'm excited about what God is doing here. He is, his spirit is active in us today, his church, amen? And he is the one who came to seek and save that which was lost and those who were lost, and he is active in us with that same kind of pursuit. So if today you are already sensing his spirit within you, pursuing those things and those people that are lost, welcome that. That's the spirit of God within you. So we're excited about what God is doing in us. We're doing something unique in this series to help us kind of get in the framework of pursuit. Today, we are beginning what is equivalent to, if you're a member participating in geocache back in the day, we're doing that today. So when you leave today, you can pick up one of these cards. It's our pursuit treasure hunt. So what we have done is that we have hidden a treasure box that looks like the one on screen here, just a second, that we have hidden here in Ovilla. And so what you'll do is on this card are two Bible references. You'll look up these two Bible references, and this is all explained in the guidelines and rules here, but you'll need to use the New King James Version. I'm just gonna say it one more time. You'll need to use the New King James Version. If you say, I never saw that in my Bible, and I say, well, did you use the New King James Version? You say, no. Well, then you won't find the right clue. So use the New King James Version. Which version are we using? The New King James Version. Very good, good job. So this week's treasure is hidden here in Ovilla using the New King James Version. You'll look up these two Bible references references here. And if you don't know Ovilla very well, you might have to just Google some interesting facts about Ovilla because it will help you if you don't know much about the area. So Google a little bit about Ovilla. Check out these two Bible references. You'll get it, I think, pretty quick. You'll have to do a bit of looking. It's not just hidden in plain sight. It is a metal box with a magnet on it. That should help you. All right? That should help you. So here's what happens. When you find the box, You'll open it. Inside it is a QR code. Take your phone, open the camera app, look at that QR code. It will give you a link. Go to that link, enter in your name, and it'll put you in a drawing that we'll do at the end of the series for $100 in gift cards. All right? Everybody cool with all that? You got it? Yeah, okay, good, good. Last week I said all this and everybody's just like, I don't know, maybe you're already thinking about Dickies for lunch. I don't know what it was, I don't know. So uh, it's a pretty cool deal. It's a great thing for families to do, great thing for couples, great thing for an individual to do. Pick this up on your way out, you'll need this. These are your clues right here. Next week, uh, the treasure will not be in Ovilla. Next week, it'll be in Waxahachie. And the week after that, it'll be in Middle Othian. Uh, and then it'll be in Middle Othian again a second time. So that's all coming up, that'll be fun. So uh, here comes Caleb, and there goes Caleb. All right, he lost a screw. All right, literally, he did, part of his guitar, so I was not referring to his mental state. All right, cool. So Jesus taught his disciples, therefore us, to pray. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He taught us to have that kind of passion and pursuit so that life on earth would look like and be like it is in heaven. And so as his people, that is what we are doing. We are seeking first the kingdom of God. We're pursuing the kingdom of God. We are preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. That's the gospel of the kingdom so that others might know 
Here is what it looks like to have Jesus at the center of a life, Jesus at the center of a marriage, Jesus at the center of a family, Jesus at the center of a people. God has always operated with this plan that there would be a people on earth who would show the rest of the world what it looks like for God to be in the center. He called Adam to that. Adam didn't do so well with it. He called Noah to that. Noah did pretty good with it. We're going to talk more about that today. We're going to meet another character that he called to that today. But then, as the New Testament opens... We find him calling a new people to do that. And those people are called the church. And so that is why our gathering is important because we are receiving direction, instruction. We are being unified. We are growing together. We are serving one another as the body of Jesus Christ on earth that we might be the place, the people, the voice that says to others, here is what it looks like to have Jesus at the center of all things. He's not for the periphery of life. He's not just an add-on that you call on when things get bad. He's not a tow truck. He's not AAA. He's not a service you call just when things go badly. You can do that, but that's not where real life is. Real life is in your whole life having Jesus at the very center of it. He's not just a piece of the pie. He's the whole pie plate, right? That holds every part of our life. And he calls us to walk with him in that process. You know, I, uh, I follow different guys on social media. And uh, you can go ahead and take a, a, a deep breath of shock right here. I even have some guys I follow on TikTok. Oh, no. I'll just say to the students, you can have TikTok if your mom and dad says you can have TikTok. But mom and dad are already in heaven, so they said I can have TikTok. So, and Heather said I can too. So uh, I follow some pastors on TikTok, and I recently came across a guy named Russell Johnson. Uh, you probably have never heard of him. I hadn't either. And he has a church in Seattle. Now, you just pause and think for just a moment about all you've heard about Seattle and Washington, Portland and Oregon and all of that area up there. Can you imagine having a church in that region? This guy, however, is on fire. Um, I love hearing him speak. Uh, Truett and I listen to his stuff. Truett's listened to more of his messages than I have. Hunter and joins in with us on this and we talk about his messages. Um, he leans a little bit more assemblies probably than I do. If you go follow him, uh, just want to tell you that up front. He, he'll lean a little bit more assemblies than Russell Johnson. All right? Um, and so I was watching a clip from one of his TikToks, and um, he talked, this is, this is a little ways back. And you remember up in the Northwest, they were, they were more hesitant for the church to meet and gather again, right? So uh, here in the South, we started just, you know, meeting again anyway after COVID, during COVID time period. And, uh, but they, they had more guidelines and laws and rules that said they couldn't, but Russell and his church began to anyway. So I was watching one of his, uh, one of his pieces that he was doing where he was talking about the church. And he said, the church is essential. The church is important. 
as Caleb referenced this morning. And, and Russell said, uh, the church is more essential, and I'm adding to some of his words here, the church is more essential than entertainment industry. The church is more essential than a hospital. It's true. The church is more essential than any university. The church is more essential than any government agency. The church is more essential than any education system. Amen? The gathered church has the mandate from God to go and make disciples. No other agency is given that mandate from God. It's the church. The church is essential. The church is the one that has the responsibility to go and follow Jesus in pursuit of the kingdom and to continue to build the church. That's our responsibility. The church is the one that is the place where God has promised he would show up in power. I totally get it. He shows up when I'm by myself sometimes in my car. He shows up when I'm in my office alone. He shows up when I'm at home and it's me and Heather and we're talking or pray. He shows up in those moments. But I will tell you, there is a difference in the way he shows up when the church is gathered. It's just different. And we're called to that. We're called to gather for that purpose. It's only the church that he has said that Jesus is the head and we are the body. Now look, I'm just, I know... I came out of the 2005, 2010 uh, era where there was a lot of, hey, who needs a church, man? Church, you know, the church is the people, cool. You know, all that stuff, you know, all that stuff we did back then. I get it. But I also get that that was really ridiculous that I said all of that. Because there's a place where, yes, the church is the people. But I'm telling you, the church is not the people until the people are gathered. You can say you belong to family all day long, but you're not family until your family's gathered together. It's true. I'm serious. The church is and must be gathered together. That's why we are here today. This is not just a cool thing we do on Sundays. This is not just something we came up with. This is something that God mandates for us to do, is to be the church gathered together to follow his command. The church is the only institution in the Bible that Jesus has promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against. If I'm gonna belong, yeah, come on. If I'm going to put my energy anywhere, if I'm going to put myself into a place that I want to build, I want to invest, I want to serve, I want to be in the place that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. Amen? This is the church. And so Jesus is the head of the church, and whatever he says is important, whatever he is, whatever his heart is, is pulsing for and toward, that ought to be what you and I are pulsing and forward for as well because he is the head and he directs the body. The body doesn't get to do what it wants. The body does what the head wants, right? And so the head is directing and telling us and giving us life. And so the head, Jesus says, that he has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Those things that have been lost, those things that have been uh, tragically Burned those things that have been broken. Jesus pursues that and those which are lost. We know who the those are, but I'm telling you, Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, and that which was lost was a group of people on the planet who would live with God at the center. That is what he has come to restore, and that has to be what you and I are passionate about. And when you read through scripture, you find a very systematic 
pattern about how God does that. Whenever he is going to do a work in a family, a community, a nation, or even the world, he always starts with one, one person. Now, you and I struggle sometimes because we think God is speaking to us, but then we look around at our circumstances and think, well, I'm just gonna wait until things improve and then I might speak out. Mm -mm. If God's speaking to you, he's calling you to move, to do, to act, to obey, to do what he says, regardless of the circumstances, because you are the voice, you are the one, you are the light of the world, you are the salt, you are, you are the church put into that situation and we are called to move. We're not here today to hide away from what the, is happening in the culture. We are here, to be, here today to be strengthened by what God says so we can move out into the culture and make a difference and change what is happening in this world. We are not here because we're hiding. We are here because we're only empowered to go and change what's happening in our culture today. Amen? Amen. So I'm praying, I'm praying that we will have that kind of sensitivity and willingness to do what he says. You might be the one he calls in your family, but I, as the pastor, am responsible for the one that we are together. And I believe he's calling us as a body to make a difference in our culture. So today, I'm praying we will hear his spirit and we will respond to the message from his word today. Our message today is called, Do It Anyway. Now, when God calls a one, whether it's a one in a family or a family in a community or a community in their state or a state in their nation, whatever it might be, a church, God always calls at the time when things are dark and hopeless. And he calls and he speaks. And he calls one out to be the one who will be his man, his woman, his young person, who will walk in his ways and do what he's called him to do. I wanna read a little bit from scripture today, Genesis 11. And uh, I'm not gonna put these verses on screen. I'm just gonna read for us. So if you wanna turn your Bible to Genesis 11, let me give a little bit of a setting here. So this is Genesis 11, as I said. We know Genesis is the beginning. We know Genesis is where God created Adam and Eve. We know Genesis is where Adam takes the fruit that God told him not to eat and he plunges all of creation into corruption. The curse of sin comes upon all things created, not just in the garden, but on the entire globe and in the entire universe. All is corrupted because of Adam's choice. Time rolls forward, Adam and Eve begin to have children, and they begin to experience life under the curse. Things are not going well. Things are not going well at all. And so you get to Genesis 11, and the families of Adam have increased. But in chapter 11 is where a story happens that you may know about if you've been around the church for some time or familiar with the Bible. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. Now, what we're gonna watch happen here, uh, it says in verse one, it says, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. So it hasn't been long since the flood has happened. We know that uh, the flood occurs 
and the ark and so forth had happened and things had not gone so well from there either. Noah and his family come out on the other side of the ark and they begin to live their lives. But there's corruption there as well. The pattern of sin is still present because the pattern of sin is within man. It's not just outside, it's inside. And at this point, the whole earth has one language and one speech. Can you imagine that? There's not any language barriers. Everybody speaks the same language. There's not near as many people on the planet as there are today because it's early on, but everybody speaks the same language. Nobody has any trouble understanding what someone else is saying. Verse two, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. So they find a flat area that's important in the story. They found a flat area. It's not a mountainous region. It's a flat area, a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Everybody that's on the planet is together. One big, big group. Verse three, then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. This was new technology back in the day. It was brand new. They were putting together bricks and they had something for mortar, which meant you could build not just walls, but houses and buildings, multi-story buildings. Engineering minds are beginning to click and they're putting things together. By the way, you know there's no such thing as cavemen. Hello? Cavemen is a lie that has been told to you from an evolutionary story that you heard in public school. There's no such thing as cavemen. Don't try to put cavemen in the Bible anywhere. They're not there. Oh, I can tell this is brand new information for some people. We hadn't thought about that before. There are no such thing as cavemen. We did not evolve from fish, turtles, or apes. Hello? God created Adam and Eve. God created man and woman. God, and it was man and woman. That was it. Two genders. God created them all and they did not evolve. They grew and they understood, but they sinned and they fell. And we're in Genesis 11 and there are no cavemen. So just erase that. I know it's going to be hard. Okay? They're making bricks and mortar. They've got technology. Verse 4 And they said, Come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. They said, man, it's time for us to settle down. It's time to build a city. It's time to build a tower. We need to get all together. We have a purpose here. Let's be in one place, one people, doing one thing, and let's build a city. Let's build a tower, in fact, that goes all the way up in the heavens. The top is in the heavens. And they said, let us make a name for ourselves. Mm. Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. They're doing all of this because they don't want to be scattered. They don't want to go. Do you know what the one mandate was that was given to Adam and Eve? It was the same mandate that was given to Noah and his wife. It says in the Bible, and for both of those, that God blessed them, told them to be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth. They were to go. That was the mandate from God. And here this people say, go, no. We're staying. We're not going. In fact, we're gonna make a name for ourselves. We don't want the name of God. We don't want to go. We want to stay. 
We want to be together. We want to build our own city. We want to make our own laws that will enable us to do our own thing, that don't have God in them, that will legalize and justify every kind of sin there is. We're going to do that because we are against this God. We're going to build a city to do what we want to do, and we're going to build a tower. Some even suggest that they were building this city and this tower that in case God did ever bring judgment on the earth again, they would all rush up in their tower and save themselves pretty arrogant group you got going on here in Genesis 11. They are immoral. They are corrupt. They are arrogant. They are anti-God. They are full of themselves. They're justifying their sin. And the last thing that they want to do is the last thing that God said for them to do. Multiply and go. They say, no, we'll stay. We're not going to go. Verse five, it says, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they began to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. God is not against technology. God is not against growth. God is not against man operating in the gifts that he's given them. But what God was against was the fact that they were against him. And they were going to do whatever they wanted to do. And God said, now, with their heart and their mind, they'll do whatever evil, wicked thing they want to do. And for this, it's in verse 7, it says, come, let us go down. Which is an early Old Testament reference to the fact that there's a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us, all three, go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth. They won't go and do what I commanded? Then God says, I will come down and I will bring about a scenario that will cause them to do what I commanded. And the Lord scattered them all and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over, face, over the face of all the earth. Now, just watch this. This is the entire population at the time. They are all against God. The entire population. None are interested in seeking God They've all been in a defiant mode. We will not believe your story. We will not listen to your truth. We will do what we want to do, and we'll do it in great defiance. And so God will not be mocked. God will not be denied. And so he brought about a confusion amongst them, and they were scattered. Now, with this, Chapter 11 is going to roll forward with a list of descendants, but this effectively brings an end to that chapter and this scenario. The earth is under now a different judgment, a different curse. There's a scattering, there's evil, there's arrogance, but God is not finished. God is about to move what did we say already? When God starts to move, he always begins with one. Now, this is where chapter 12 
begins. I want to move forward to chapter 12. Because here we have seen in Genesis 11 a few things. Let me just put these words up there for us to all see. There's spiritual darkness. There's resistance to God. There's defiance. There's rebellion. There's arrogance. There's immorality and a seemingly impossible situation. But into that, God calls one. This is his plan. This is his pattern. This is how he operates. It's important for us to know this pattern. Genesis 12, verses one through four, tell us this. That now the Lord said to Abram, You might know this man as Abraham, but when we first meet him, he is Abram, and God chooses him. He doesn't choose him because he is rich. He doesn't choose him because he's smart or smarter. He doesn't choose him because he is more powerful. It's just that God chooses whom he's going to choose. Amen? It's his purpose. It's his plan. And so God chooses one. And it's important that when God chooses and speaks to us, that we don't downplay the moment, that we don't deny his voice, that we don't dismiss it. Because this story of Abraham becomes the story of Israel, becomes the story of the lineage of Jesus, and it all starts with one. Don't dismiss when God speaks to you personally, in spite of your situation, in spite of your circumstances, in spite of how difficult it is, because here is God calling Abram when the entire world is against him. How'd you like to have those odds? You don't have a group of people you can go gather with on Sunday at this point if you're Abram. You have got you. You've got what God has called you to do. And here's Abram up against all odds. The second part of verse one says that here's what God said to him. It says that God told him, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Abram can't even stay with his own family because they are corrupt. Abram can't even stay with his own father because he's turned against God. And God's about to do something brand new, but he says to Abram, you are gonna need to leave where you've been. You're gonna need to get out of what you've thought, what's been comfortable, the way of life you've known, because I have something brand new for you, and you're gonna have to walk in the way that I call you. You're gonna have to leave where you've been to a place that I will show you. He doesn't even tell Abram exactly where it is. He can't enter the coordinates in Google Maps. He can't use Waze app. He can't use any of that. He says, Abram, I'll show you. I need you to take the first step, though, because I will show you where to go as we go. That's a pattern God uses, by the way. I'll show you where to go as we go. So the first thing about when God calls, he calls people against all odds. It's pretty difficult odds for Abram. Everybody is against God. Therefore, Abram, if you're for God, everybody's against you. You got a problem. It's going to be tough. 
the odds are not great, but you're going to need to walk forward and trust God. This is the way God always works. He always has called his people and speaks to one against all odds. He's calling the church today, and we know that the culture is bigger than us. Amen? It is. God is bigger than them, but they outnumber us. Hello? The return of a life where God is at the center in our nation seems very much difficult and impossible at this point. Hello? I recognize that Jesus can do all things. I'm just setting us up here. Hello? Come on now. I recognize, and we have to admit that up until this month, we thought the overturn of Roe v. Wade was going to be impossible. You watch what happens this week in the news. Hello? Hello? Come on now. We're about to see a change happen in our nation in what looks like some of the most difficult, dark days. God is about to do something fresh, I believe. We have to acknowledge that the return of traditional values in our, in our world today, in our culture, even in our nation today, seems an, a great odds. The thought of life returning to a place and even getting to a greater place where the family with a husband and a wife and a children and the grandchildren and cousins and they're all living together and all trusting one another. I don't mean in the same house, but all living and trusting one another, supporting one another, a return to family as God describes it. That seems impossible and great odds against what the culture has today. Hello? They're trying to destroy what is even the traditional family. The redemption of an education system seems bigger than us today. The rescue of the medical industry seems bigger than us today. The end of corruption in government seems to be bigger than us today. But all those things are not going to stop us as the church of Jesus Christ from walking forward and doing what he has called us to do. It will not stop us from preaching the truth, declaring the truth, proclaiming the gospel, meeting together, and doing what he's called us to do. Because we are the church, and we recognize we may be one. We may be one up against the giant called Goliath. We may be one up against the Red Sea and not know how we're going to get across. But we trust in the one who's called us, not in the ones around us, not in the one that we are. If he's calling us, then we'll take a step and walk forward and face our giant, face our sea, whatever it is, because he is for us. Amen? Amen. God calls one, and he calls them against all odds. Verse 2, God said to Abram, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. When God calls, he calls with a vision. And a plan. He calls intentionally. And he calls with his vision and with his plan for what he is going to do. He says to Abram, I recognize your odds right now. I recognize what's going on. I know I am God. But I know what I am going to do. And I know I'm calling you to be the one I will do it through. And I'm going to make you into a nation. Abraham, one guy, married, no children, and he's going to become a nation. This is how vision works. When God speaks and gives you a vision, it won't be something that you'll say, oh, I think I can do that. No, when God gives you a vision, I promise you, if it's from God, it will be bigger than what you can accomplish in your own strength. That's how you recognize it. It's big. That, unfortunately, is often why we dismiss what God puts in our heart, because we think, eh, too big too difficult, too impossible, can't see it. 
God doesn't call us to what we can measure, define, and understand. He calls us to faith that believes in him and a vision and a plan that's bigger than what we can discern on our own. And God says, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna pour out blessing on you. It's all grace, Abram. Abram could look back in his life and say, you know what? I have been mighty good. I have made some good choices along the way. And I did go to church every Sunday. Abram couldn't say any of that stuff. Abram couldn't claim any righteousness for himself. Abram was purely shown grace in this moment. And God said, I'm gonna make your name great. I'm gonna do something, Abram. I'm gonna do something in the future that when people say the name Abram, they will recognize God. They will still be telling the story in 2022 and beyond. I'm gonna make your name significant. God says, I will do that. How humbling that God would take your name and do something with that name that glorifies him through your name. And God said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you a blessing. I'm gonna work through you. And when people think of you, they're gonna think of the blessings of God. This is visionary. This is big. This was massive for Abram in his day. And God will give you a vision for things in your life that have been lost, things that have been broken, relationships that have fallen apart, circumstances that you thought have come to an end, dreams and visions that God has put in your heart that have not yet come to pass. God puts those in your heart. If, it's, if it lines up with what God says is good, you didn't come up with that. God put it there. And it will be big, it will be great, it will be unattainable in your own mind, and God will say, now, trust me, I will make this happen. And here God gives Abram some beautiful, powerful picture of the future. Don't dismiss what God puts in your heart. Maybe you've got a vision in your heart that God's put there for a reconciliation of a relationship. Don't dismiss it because you can't see how it could happen today. Maybe God's put in your heart a vision for an opportunity that's been lost. Don't dismiss that because you can't figure out how it could come to pass. God didn't ask you how I'm gonna do this. He said, trust me, I will do this. He told Abram, I will make your name great. I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. Nowhere in that verse did he say, okay, Abram, look here. Here's how I'm gonna do it. That didn't happen. God said, I'll do it. Your role is to trust me in it. God starts with one. It's always against all odds. It's with a vision. It's with a plan. Don't dismiss it because you can understand it. But it goes on in verse three. And God said to him, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. God makes a promise. And when God calls us, he does so with promise. Because he's the one that's going to complete it, then he's going to give you a promise to trust. And here he says to Abram, Abram, look, I know you're stressed about the whole thing about everybody on the planet being against me. And you're probably wondering, who's for me? Who's against me? Who can I go to? Who can I trust? You're probably wondering, who can I get resources from? Where should I settle? And God says to him, that is not for you to be concerned about. What you should be concerned about is the fact that I, the Lord your God, 
I will bless and bring people into your life and they will be a blessing and I'll bless them. And for those who curse you, Abram, I got them. I'll take care of that. Those who curse you, I get them. Trust me, God makes promises. So whatever it is in your life that God gives you a vision for, when God starts calling you, don't get all caught up in who, where, how, I don't understand. It seems, it seems like great odds, seems like I don't know who I'm gonna trust, who am, I gonna, who am I gonna lean on? It seems in this day, we think as the church, how in the world could this ever be? How could there be a revival return to not just where we've been, to something greater? Who in the world could we trust? How can we trust the government today in this whole process? What are we gonna do? How are we gonna grow? All that kind of stuff. Look, that's not for us to stress about. That's for us to take a promise about. And if he says the gates of hell are not gonna prevail against us, then we believe that promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against us, amen? And we walk forward anyway. Don't get all comfortable with your analysis. Don't, don't lean on your ability to figure it all out. You trust in the one who gives promises. And this is what God does for Abram. I'll, I'll take care of you. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. I'll take care of you, Abram. He goes on, the second part of verse three, and he says, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is big for Abram, because he's thinking about all the families that are on the earth currently, and he's thinking, how in the world, God, how, how are you gonna change the world? How are you gonna change all of that? And you say you're gonna use me, and you, through me, there's gonna be a blessing? Abram can't begin to discern how this is gonna happen, but Abram will be called to believe that it will happen. This is what we do with promises. If Jesus says to his church, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, it's not ours to figure out how we're gonna do that. It's not ours to figure out who's gonna be for us, who's gonna be against us. It's ours to take the step and say, God, we will do that. Amen? Hello? Did I lose everybody? If God calls us to obey him, it's not on us to try to figure out whether we will, whether we won't, if it's right, if it's wrong, what could be the results, what could be the consequences. It's ours to say, yes, sir, I'll do it. You've promised, I will do it. Husbands, if you're called to love your wife like Christ loves the church, don't sit and dismiss it and say, well, if she start being like the church to me, then I'll start being like Jesus to her. No, dude, come on. You're called to be Jesus regardless of whether and how she responds. Come on now. See, that's promise ahead of your plan. Promise directs your plan. Promise leads you into the plan. Promise is what you keep your focus on. You stay focused on the promise and then God will provide the provision. Don't get all caught up in how and why and all that kind of stuff. You just trust the promise. You, tr you trust the promiser and he'll provide. The passage goes on. God says to Abram in verse four. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Whew. God gives him an impossible situation. He gives him a vision and a picture of what he's going to do. Then he gives him a promise. And every time he does this, whenever God calls, he always does it with a mandate to obey. 
You see, you can't just look at the promises of God and say, oh, that's cool, see what happens. I'm just gonna hang out here and we'll just see. Maybe, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. No, when God gives a promise, he intends for us to have some activity that follows with it. And here's Abram doing what God called him to do. God said, you're gonna have to leave your family. You're gonna have to leave your father's house. You're gonna go to a land that I will show you. You're gonna have to lay aside all of your intellect and all of your feelings about the whole deal and trust me. And Abram does that. He steps out on this verse and says, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. He didn't depart as he figured it out. He didn't depart as he felt better about the whole situation. He didn't depart because he went and talked to four friends who confirmed his feelings about the whole thing. That's not what happened here. Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. It was a man of faith. He becomes the father of faith. And this is where it begins. Because he said, I will trust God above all. Now, this has some massive implications for us as the church today. Because we're up against a Goliath. We're up against a culture. We're up against a government in this day and time that is not too faith-friendly, that is not too Jesus-friendly, and not too church-friendly. And depending upon what happens in the news this week, with the decision of Roe v. Wade, which I'm believing by God will be overturned, you have to know there will be even greater reaction. And you have to know that that reaction will be leveled against Christians and churches. But this will not detain us, slow us, stop us, or silence us from speaking the truth about where life begins. Amen? Because life begins in the womb, and it begins not just as physical life, but it begins as life that has eternal value to it. It lasts forever, forever. It is sacred and never to be taken in man's hand to determine when it will come to an end. It's God's choice alone. So in our day, we must be vigilant to do what God says, regardless of the reaction today. We will continue to say that God has created two genders, a man and a woman only. Anything else is a distortion of God's plan. We will continue to say that. We will continue to say that marriage is between a man and a woman, not two men, not two women, not some man who says he's a woman, not any of that. It's a man and a woman only. This is what we still hold to. Amen. We hold to these truths. We hold to the responsibility that we have as believers to teach our children the word of God, to teach them in our education that God's purposes are true, that the word of God is true. We will continue to meet as the church. We will not slack on the mandate that we have to be the people of God gathered as the people of God. Amen. And we will not slack on our calling and mandate to go and make disciples. Regardless of what any government or group might say, it will not stop us, the church, from continuing 
to preach the gospel and lead others to grow up into the fullness of the gospel in their life. Amen? We will not stop in that process. This has massive implications for us as the church, but also has implications for us individually. Because I'm confident that even today, over the last 30 minutes or so, God has been speaking to us. His presence is here, undeniably, which means he's speaking, he's powerful, he's intentional, he has purpose. And I'm confident that there are some areas in all of our lives that he's speaking to you about that he is calling you to pursue something or someone that has been lost. You want a mealtime conversation for today? Heather and I did this yesterday. What are some things in your life that God has put in your heart to pursue that has been lost? You want a lunchtime conversation, a dinnertime conversation, some pillow talk? Just answer that question with one another. We come up with a, a, a long discussion about some things. Look, I'm not talking about hobbies. Yeah, I think I'd love to pursue more watercolor painting. I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about myself here. I'm the water, watercolor painter. Hello? I do some of that. But I'm not talking about, you know, uh, your, your pleasure, your pastime. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about some things that have been lost in your life. I'm talking about some bridges that have been burned. I'm talking about some people that maybe you've burned a bridge with. I'm talking about some opportunities that you've squandered because of choices in your life. I'm talking about things that you're wanting to pursue to see the kingdom come to bear again in to see the reality of Christ in that. Maybe it's your family, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's, maybe it's a, a, an opportunity that God has put on your heart, a, a gifting that he's given you, whatever it is. If God's put that in your life, do not dismiss or deny it. Do not look down on it because it seems so much bigger than you. Just because you can't figure out how in the world it could ever come to pass just because you think it just seems unattainable, it just seems too big, it just seems like it could never be gained. I'm sure Abram felt all of that as well. I'm sure there were some parts in him where he thought, God, I just feel so small up against all that you're saying, all that you're promising, all that you're saying would happen. It just seems so big. It just seems so unattainable. And God says, I didn't give you a vision from me for you to be able to assess and figure out whether you wanted to do or not. I gave you a vision so that you would trust me explicitly. So that it would be bigger than you. It would be greater than anything you could ever dream or imagine. It would require your absolute faith and it would require great sacrifice. It would require some action on your part. This is how God has always worked through Scripture. This is how God has always worked. When he wants to do something big, he starts with one. Are you the one today? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I'm confident you are here in this place. I'm confident you are speaking. I'm confident you have 
purpose. And I'm confident you were speaking into areas of our lives individually. Some areas that we have dismissed in the past. Some areas that we have thought were unattainable. But you keep bringing it back. You keep putting it in our heart. You keep calling us. And so God, today, without being able to know all the details of the future, and up against great odds, we choose to trust you. And whatever the mountain is, whatever the odds are, whatever the reaction or the resistance, we will choose to obey you anyway. We'll do what you say. We'll take the step. We'll begin the conversation. We'll cry out in prayer. We'll obey. We'll act. We'll give. We'll sacrifice toward the end that you would be glorified. So Father, I pray this for us individually in our lives, but I pray it for us as a church as well. That in a day and time when it would be easy to be overwhelmed with the odds that are seemingly against us, we remember the truth. We remember a promise that the gates of hell, though they were to try to prevail against us, will not. We trust in you. And we will stand firm on your promises. We'll stand firm in the mandate we have to live out our faith unashamedly, to share our faith boldly, and to go and to continue to make disciples. We will not hide. We will not run. We will not deny what you've called us to. Instead, we will pursue that which has been lost, and we will do so with great surrender, with great faith in the one who's given us the promise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can spend your whole life building something from nothing when storm can come and blow it all away. Build it anyway. You can chase a dream that seems so out of reach And you know it might not ever come your way Dream it anyway Cause God is great But sometimes life ain't good when I pray, it doesn't always turn out like I think it should, but I do it anyway, I do it anyway, this world's gone it's hard to believe that tomorrow will be better than today. Believe it anyway. You can love someone with all your heart for all the right reasons. In a moment they can choose to walk away. Love them anyway. 
Cause God is great But sometimes life ain't good When I pray It doesn't always turn out like I think it should But I do it anyway I do You can pour your soul out, sing a song you believe in That tomorrow they'll forget you ever sang Sing it anyway Oh, sing it anyway Cause God is great But sometimes life ain't good When I pray It doesn't always turn out like I think it should But I do it anyway I do said before, I'm confident God is speaking here in this room this morning. This is not just some disconnected religious talk. This is real life. This is where Jesus meets us in the reality of life. And I know you don't just make commitments and decisions to something as massive as God calling you in pursuit of something lost just flippantly. You don't do that. You do it with intentionality and it comes with prayer and it comes with agonizing, and it comes with speaking with someone else to help you in the process, and it comes with someone praying for you in the process. Amen? So this morning, in just a moment, I'm gonna ask some counselors that we've, we've asked to come stand along here, and I'll ask us all to stand in just a moment. And Caleb and Alexa will sing, and this will be your moment. If you want to come just kneel here to pray alone, you come do that. If you want to bring a family member, come do that. If you want to speak with one of the counselors just to have someone pray with you, you do that. Because this is a moment of reality where Jesus meets us. Let's pray. Father, we will not dismiss your voice in our heart. We will not dismiss your calling. We will not dismiss the vision you've put in our heart because it's come from you. I pray for courage and boldness and for a movement of your spirit here, of your body and your people crying out that we might recognize you are calling us and we would seek you in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Counselors, you come right away to be here, to be available. This is your time to come, to pray, to meet with others who would like to pray with you. This is your moment. Though the world 
may try to stop us when we're called to be bold and the gates of hell are standing in our way we'll preach it anyway oh i do your time to move. Come see someone. Come bow at this altar. Come pray. Seek the Lord. Seek his face. Don't, dis- don't dismiss his voice. Don't miss this time. Seek him. You'll find people who will meet you here to love, to pray with you, to meet you in the middle of it hurt with you, to cry out to God for you, this is your moment.
seeking the Lord. We'll be sensitive to that in the process. I'm just so grateful for uh, a church who responds to the Lord, and we're just, we're just listening to him. He's the head of the body, amen, and we're just following what he's doing. So uh, you know for the last several weeks, we have ended our service baptizing, and we're doing that again today too. Amen, amen. So... Uh, I want to invite Brantley up. Come on, Brantley. Come stand with me. Yeah. So, um, hey, man. How are you? Good. This guy, uh, for, for a while, uh, he, he'll take notes in service, and they have drawings with them. This is before I started doing the board stuff. It was a while back, and he would bring them to me and show me that he had been illustrating the services for me. So probably where this came from. So no, no, good job. This guy, we've also talked several times about what it means to follow Jesus. And he has a real heart to follow Jesus. And uh, I'm excited because we've talked together and he said, I want to get baptized. So we talked with mom and uh, she, she said, okay, let's, let's talk about this for a little bit and watched his life. And she began to see consistent fruit from his life that he really did want to follow Jesus. Parents, that's a clue, by the way, of how we know when it's time. Uh, there's not just this flash in the pan moment of, I want to get baptized, but there's this continual uh, passion that just won't go away. And then there's evidence in his life that that's been true as well. He's following Jesus in his life. And his mom says, that's true, right? Yeah. Why don't y'all come up and stand with me as well? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> This is, this is um, his mom. This is Jackson. Here comes uncle. Yeah, you know, oh, they're going to fill the stage. Here we go. Man, granddad, everybody's coming on in the story here. There's a lot. We, we could just about empty out a quarter of this. They are all coming. Okay, I'm out of here. Yeah. Hey, this is what happens, though, when family's all in, right? And there's support and there's encouragement and there's a modeling of faith. And you see all this here. Yeah. Pretty special, huh? Yeah. We've known this family for a long time and uh, back before there was a Brantley. But I'm excited to see today Brantley here and 
making Jesus his Lord and making it public with baptism. Amen? So, Brantley, I don't know about all these people, but me and you are going to go back here and get baptized, okay? Let's do this. Come on back here. Y'all can, yeah, y'all can turn around, step around, whatever you want to do there. He's going to, you can take those flip-flops off. That'd be great. And let's step in here. Yeah, let's turn around and face this other way. It is warm, he said. Yeah, have a seat right there. Yeah, it is warm. Take a deep breath for just a moment here. Okay, I want you to look around at family that are all here. Some over here behind you on this side too. Mom's here, yeah. So Brantley, I'm excited that you want to be a follower of Jesus because in this generation to come, there needs to be one that God works in. And the fact that he's called you tells me you're one of the ones. Amen. So this is just the beginning today. This is just the beginning of your walk with Jesus. You're taking that first step. I know you don't know what's all ahead. Nobody in this group does. They have lots of prayers and lots of hope, but I'm confident our God has a purpose for you. And someday to come, there'll be a day when someone's saying, that Brantley, man, he's a blessing. He's a blessing to our family. He's a blessing to the nation. Because God calls like that. So I'm excited that Jesus has died for you. Jesus rose again for you. And today, old Brantley goes away. New Brantley will be raised up out of this water, right? Amen. So Brantley, I baptize you as my brother in Christ. You're buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life.